This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alex Opolis and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Welcome to Call to Adventure. This is John Duckworth, your host, along with Alex Opolis. And we are here in the studio today with Carolee Nielsen Follett, one of the most prolific and innovative restaurateurs in Charleston, with local favorites Taco Boy, Monza, Close for Business, The Royal American, Lily's Hot Kitchen, and The Park Cafe. She is also a founding member of the Green Heart Project, creating urban gardens at schools, connecting students to nature and healthy food. Carolee has also been recognized by the Charleston Regional Business Journal and Charlie Magazine, in recognition of her community involvement and her outstanding contribution to local creative entrepreneurs. She spends her free time surfing, traveling, and cooking. Recently married in 2013, she and her husband Chris are creating a farm on Edisto. She is a wonderful person, a dear friend, whom I've known since the inception of 39 Rue de Jean so many years ago. So nice to get a chance to catch up. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so... As we send some of these questions out, we always ask uh, a, a few standard questions. And one of the ones is, you know, who, who inspires you? Mm. And so tell us a little bit about Tracy Picard. Tracy is um, an unsung hero in town, really doing um, our community's work one person at a time. And I got to know her as um, a contractor. She's a, a builder in town. And when I got ready to do Lily's Hot Kitchen, I, had, I hadn't built a restaurant in a couple years and I needed some help. And even though I have my own commercial denim contractor's license, I've stepped away from hiring crews and, and doing all that legwork. And so it was actually Drew Harrison at the Greenheart Project who connected us. And she had started her own community garden uh, at the end of Romney Street. Hmm. Um, so I got to know her um, through building Lily's Hot Kitchen and then the Park Cafe. And in that time... Uh, you know, she would have, she'd say, hey, I got to leave for 20 minutes. And, and I'd say, well, what's going on? She said, well, I got to go pick somebody from school. <laughs> huh. and, uh, and these stories would unfold about um, the ways that she was serving her neighbors and her community by helping people who, who normally just wouldn't be helped. People would ignore their circumstance or situation. And and um, this one particular child who lived on our block, whose parents had basically just kind of been tired of parenting, and, and this and this you know young guy was kind of having a hard time getting out of bed every day, and, and it was she just decided she wasn't it wasn't going to happen on her block. Huh. She was going to make sure that he got to school every day. And most people probably wouldn't insert themselves in other people's lives like that, but for Tracy, it meant the difference between his life being destroyed by dropping out of school at ten. Oh, wow. Or making the difference, and she and she's that kind of person. She's not afraid to That's step really cool. in. It's, yeah. amazing. it's amazing to be around people. There's so many different ways to give back, and I'm looking forward to getting into that conversation later. Um, but to do it just not on a board, not writing a check, just day to day, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, person to person. 
Talking about another person who I'm sure inspires you, I thought it was interesting how you referred to your mother, who also owned a construction company her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said uh, due to sort of that background and that upbringing, you never saw the world as male-female, sort of gender-neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your partners in one of your uh, businesses said she might have blonde hair and blue eyes, but she thinks like a Chinese. I'm wondering what those, <laughs> one, what it means to be sort of, uh, how that's empowered you being gender neutral um, and what it means to be, uh, to, to think like a Chinese. I think driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably inherited this um, immensely, this gene of just being immensely driven from both of my parents. Mm. So I never saw the role of one of them, um, you know, being dominant with that. And my mother um, broke a lot of those boundaries and barriers in, in, in the way that me and my sisters saw what, what you could do um, as a woman. But my father also, I mean, there was, there was very little difference in our household, whether you were male or female, with what you were asked to do. If it was, it was a task, it was everybody was supposed to do it. And, huh. and I think that um, that really um, had a huge impact on me. We, I, we had a conversation with my sisters the other day when we were all in Italy together. And my parents in, really inspired us to believe that we were capable of anything. Mm. You know, there was, and if we and if we weren't personally capable of it, that we had the ability to find, to to be resourceful and find what we needed to find, and that there was no answer outside of what we were capable of. It's a great lesson to learn. What a beautiful thing to teach. Holy yeah. cow! Yeah. You know, and, and not realizing it, but we all have it. <laughs> so that, and the the comment about being Chinese is maybe <laughs> unstoppable. I guess you know. There's a driven aspect <laughs> there. I thought that was the answer to <laughs> yeah, the question. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think that most of that came from from both my parents. I um. I found it really interesting. One of the books that you're uh, reading um, is about um, Oliver Sacks. Oh, the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Yeah, the man who mistook yeah. his wife for a hat. How did that book end up on your nightstand? And well, tell us, tell us a little bit about it. He um, he recently uh, passed away, and and he had several uh, top selling books. But he was a, a Renaissance man of, of of the highest order for for you know modern day culture. Um, he was a physician, a psychiatrist, I believe, um, and, a, and a lover of the arts. And, and, um, and so he really viewed his patients and his practice f- not just in a clinical way, but in a, humani- you know, in a very humanistic way as well. Um, but so when I f- heard that he passed away, um, and I learned about this book where he really goes in depth to these very peculiar cases that he has that are really way outside the norm of what most people in his field see. And, um, and to me, I wanted to, to, to learn, you know, to read about that as from a, as the aspect of compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's a very technical book. Mm-hmm. It reads much more technical than I expected it oh, to, really? but, it's, but it is challenging and beautiful. Um, and I thought, you know, it was, it was a glimpse and everything else I've been reading lately was really based on people serving other people in the mm. capacity that, you know, from just um, really trying to serve, not for making money or anything, but he was doing it from a very different level and exposing yeah. the world to it. So I think it's a great uh, segue, just talking about compassion in general, to ask you a little bit about the Green Heart Project and how that developed. 
Yeah, and, and, and I was curious because um, you've had such an incredible uh, career as a restaurateur, certainly helps shape the culinary scene in our community. And yet your first call to adventure that you referred to is not having to do with any of those successes, not Taco Boy, Monza, Close for Business, uh, Pose, uh, but yet, uh, you know, giving back through the Green Heart Project. And I was just wondering, was that a phase where you were sort of going through this existential question about what does it all mean? Um, or was it an issue and a problem that you, uh, you know, saw and felt compelled to do something to make a difference? I think it's a combination of both. At that mm. point in 2009, I'd been really immersed in my work um, without any real plan. Things just, just kept happening and opportunities just kept presenting themselves. And more than feeling driven to do them, I just kind of always felt like here I was in the best place to do it and mm. felt like I could do it. Um, and, and, and at the same time, having worked that hard, and I, um, I was trying to figure out what was this for? What was it really for? Um, and it, through that lens, I didn't know that I was putting that lens on, but I was definitely putting that lens on. And, and, and that's why I think when I was watching the kids walk by my house every day, I saw them for years. But it wasn't until I had that new lens on that I was like, what's really going on here? Why are the Cheeto wrappers always ending up over my fence? Why, are they, why do they go by so many times every day? And it wasn't until that moment I thought, I need to ask the question and say, like, hey, what's going on here? And then with the knowledge that the, that the kids in my neighborhood didn't have cars, so they didn't go to the grocery store, so that when mom was home, was got home from school and she or from working one, two, or three jobs, she was tired, so she'd just hand a five dollar bill off and say, "Go get yourself something from the corner store." And that knowledge weighed on me so heavily, and I and I um, and I fought it. I fought the, what can I do? What you know? How am I ever supposed to be a part of this? And that's why. Mm. You know, with the opening of Taco, Taco Boy had been open for a few months, and I really wanted to um, get the staff to be able to be involved in getting their hands in the dirt. And this, the, the we were really seeing restaurants getting engaged with where their food came from, and so that was top of mind. And, and Alice Waters came with that because you can't oh, yeah. get away from her when you're looking at that. Sure. Um, so it was it was kind of in this the burden, and really that I felt like I couldn't sleep at night. The, the image of what was going on, this new knowledge, really kind of had me cornered. And, um, and that's when I went to Jerry and just said, what am I supposed to Jerry do? Jerry Shear. Yeah, right. Jerry Shear. And just said, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, what am I supposed to do with this knowledge? My desire to have, to, to have our staff be engaged in growing food and being a part of food was originally supposed to be for behind Taco Boy. And, and then the business was so busy that we had to use it as a parking lot. And so there was a, con you know, there uh. were all these things happening at the same time. And, and then, and then I just couldn't get away. I couldn't get away from it. And then Jerry connected the dots for you about because yeah. he was doing a, a, a yoga program in schools. Yeah, he's just incredible. Um, he's done so many things for the kids, kids in our community. But he had piloted this program that was a few years old at the time, um, yoga in the schools. Um, and now there are several schools in, in Charleston and, and I believe still in Myrtle Beach where the kids get to go to yoga for an hour every week. Um, oh, wow. And so he had already had this interaction with this particular school and a principal who was willing to bring in people from the outside. And uh, tell and us, tell us a little bit about what the Green Heart Project does. Well, today um, it teaches kids the values of hard work, 
um, discipline and integrity through growing their own food and preparing their own and preparing that food. Um, so we have right now we serve 1,200 kids in seven different program, seven different schools with a garden on site. Yeah, 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 with a garden on site. Our flagship is at Mitchell Elementary School, and it's a uh, about a sixth of an acre. We call it a micro urban farm now, um, and it teaches the kids everything. They learn everything from vegetables they've never seen before, from huh. seedling all the way to being able to harvest it. Um, to you know, what do you do with it after you harvest it? Um, how to interact with strangers. One of the, the oh, one of the one of the first things that I noticed about the kids in my neighborhood is they always avoided, avoided eye contact. And when I asked their name, it was very like shameful, eyes down, wouldn't shake my hand. And so one of the first things we started was teaching the kids how to introduce themselves to strangers, to look somebody in the eye and say their name proudly and really shake mm. their hand with the strength to prove that they were there. And so there's there's a lot of soft skills that go into right. it under the uh, you know the uh, dressing of it's all about food, and then the, the nice benefit is huh. they they're not scared of these wonderful, beautiful, fresh foods now. Um, and they can recognize them and identify them, and now they know how to cook them, and they go home and talk to their folks about them. And well, the the world is a better place because you get knowledge that you corners you, and you need to do <laughs> yeah, something right. with it, yeah. right? Well, yeah. it's great because it seems like that same thing is happening now to the children that you're helping with these programs because they mm-hmm. get this knowledge of how what food is, and and it's no longer this strange foreign thing. And they're, I'm sure, cornered by that in the same way. Like, oh no, I don't want to go eat Cheetos at the corner store anymore. Yeah. You know. I know this other thing now and mm-hmm. I can't unknow it. Right. You know, it's really cool. No. And I love the unintended consequence of, 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 uh, of the extra lessons of social skills and emotional intelligence and yeah. these sort of things that happen. That was, I'm sure, not something you had initially thought about or was it? It was. It was. It was. I mean, because I, I live next to a neighborhood in a neighborhood where some kids don't leave the four, four block radius their, most of their lives. Oh, okay. And it became very apparent to me that uh, if we had a strong um, volunteer component of people who had grown up all over the world and come to Charleston oh. or grew up anywhere else in Charleston and had that interaction with the kids, that It'd be helpful. Th- that exposure might make them think about Smart. getting outside of that. Um, <clears throat> I want to uh, get a little insight as to where the Bar Brothers came from because oh, yeah. that, that's some of the music we're going to play next and uh, from the album Sleeping Operator. Tell us a little bit about the the band and how they came to your ear. Well, they first came to my ear um, because my dear friend Carrie Ann Hurst and her husband were playing at the KEXP Festival out in um, uh, the Pacific Northwest a couple of years ago. And on their YouTube, you know, I was tra- totally stalking them on all their YouTube performances. And, and one of the Bar Brothers, um, their performance at that same festival was there. So I saw them there and then... They were they performed this last year at the Newport Folk Festival and there's a lovely group of friends in town that I have that always we always go to the Newport Folk Festival together but if I'm not able to go I try to listen to everybody who's been on the lineup that year so nice. this particular reintroduction for me came th- from making sure I was listening to everything at the Newport Folk Festival okay. and couldn't get away from this one either nice well, John and I certainly enjoyed it we yeah. think you will too the next tune is beautiful melodic even the darkness has arms from the Barbara. When the tightrope walker slipped into the moon glow Saying all my children follow me Maybe it's time to go 
can be chrome when you're white You can be wise when you're blue And baby, if I had Then I have for you I'm bribing the jury to keep me in jail Singing tea for the tiller man And although I lie fantastically I swore an oath on my history It's a miracle I can see You can be wrong when you're right Even when you're right on cue And if I die tonight Then I die for you They call me son, great-grandson or grandson Great-uncles, aunts and relatives To judge what I have done Gonna make it right by you Even if it's all I do And if it's all I do Then I do for you enjoyed that we certainly did um love to talk to you now about sort of another call to adventure i think what you refer to as one of the most intense work periods you've ever experienced you also referred to the period as one in which you didn't have any emotional or sort of uh you didn't have the time or space or energy to do anything and yet you took on two pretty major projects um tell us about those projects lily's kitchen and park cafe and how that came to be yeah, it came after a period of, of um, self-imposed break. I, I had known for a couple years I was running at a, at a pretty um, intense pace. I had was serving as the chairwoman of Low Country Local First. I was running all the restaurants um, and, and the Green Heart Project. And I just knew I needed a break. And so I took a year off. I ended up getting married in that time. And I didn't know what was going to come next. I didn't know if family was going to come right away. I didn't know um, what the opportunities were going to be for me. I just was kind of, it was uncertain. And I really enjoyed the break. Um, I taught myself how to knit. I was quilting for new babies and friends. Yeah, I stayed home and cooked every night. I mean, it was just this beautiful place um, for me. And then 
every, I was walking in, around the neighborhood, walking the dogs, and I found uh, this corner store that had been vacant for years, and it had a for rent sign, and it's kind of typical. I think the theme that runs through my life is I see it once, I see it twice, and then suddenly it's, I can't get it off my mind. Under your skin, huh? Totally. And, uh, and, I, and I just couldn't, and I, and I didn't, I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to remember. I didn't want to think about it because um, I was really enjoying this time. It was easy. You know, it was much easier than anything I'd done before. Um, and then it, 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 it's this, the thought process started to go through this. this the, you know, that I normally do. What, what would work there? And how? What does the neighborhood uh-huh. need? And what's what? The, what does the market in Charleston still need? And, and it's become such a competitive place. And so that. I've always wanted to work with Lily, my mentor, uh, from years back, the woman who taught me uh, about, res- you know, how, why, why, why and how to love restaurants and be in it. And um, her husband's worked for Boeing in Seattle forever. So suddenly it started to come back to me, like this is maybe the time to bring Lily to Charleston and maybe Charleston's really ready for a pure Chinese restaurant that's different from kind of the corner takeout places that we have. And, 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 then, and then one thing led to another and, and it really started to come to fruition quickly. And once your wheels start spinning, you just couldn't let it go. Right. And then things started to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And then she came out, and and I and I read yeah. she stayed with you for a while, and you guys hung out like sisters, and yeah. it was just really cool. And it was just amazing. I, I was so intimidated by her, even after yeah. all these years. Still, I mean, there's that relationship of teacher to student, mm-hmm. um, and and very um, and, and the, what I love about the Chinese culture, which I'm just honored to learn from directly from her, is. Honoring your elders is 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 the utmost thing that you can do, and so there's this always will always be this distance between us, and a respectful distance. And it's um, and so as much as it's it's fun to da- you know have a couple glasses of wine and dance around the kitchen to Eminem with her, there's always going to be this thing between us because okay. of um, because she is my you know teacher and uh, and my elder, and and um, it's been wonderful. Do, do you find that? The ideas uh, for uh, when they come from a place of the soul or the heart um, or relationships, that the intention behind it is different. Because I'm I'm wondering if after doing six or seven very successful commercial enterprises, at s- at some point it's like there needs to be something more, mm-hmm. right? Who am I going to do it with? Yeah, sometimes more, and then sometimes less. Right. Sometimes yeah. you want, you know, I, I I've seen both sides of it before. Um, but for Lily, this was really about honoring her, right. and mm-hmm. and in the sunset of her career, after ha- having her having had very many successful restaurants and deciding that she would, no longer wanted to be an owner operator, t- to me this was very much paying homage to her. Oh, nice. Um, and and I and I just had I've known for a long time that Charleston is this amazing, um, you know, caricature of a place that the people of Charleston would just love. This um, woman who can make anybody feel special, you know, and with just such in, and high energy and, um, she's just unbelievable. And so I knew I, it was, I, w- I couldn't wait to share her with right. everyone. Right. And a good way to, to, to come back off your sabbatical oh, for yeah. something so personal. <laughs> yeah. Well, well uh, yeah. not just unexpectedly, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. and not just one, yeah. two, yeah. Right. park cafe. So I, you know, and I, my husband, um, was, a was the opening chef of Taco Boy downtown. 
So okay. he knew what it's like for me to open a restaurant. He, before we got married, it was it's really an intense process. It's 90 hours a week plus for six, some could be six weeks up to three months. Yeah. Um, and generally I am also either the construction manager or the general contractor on the project. So it's it it's different than I think a lot of restaurateurs who approach it from just a few weeks before they open and the, and the, inten- the period that's really intense is, is brief. And for me, it tends to be a lot more intense. And, um, and so I, I really felt like I needed his um, support when I said, hey, I'm getting back in this. This takes over my world. And he, and he was great. And he, and he said, this is, you know, I'm there all the way for you. Um, and, I, and I felt, so I felt very honored by that. But shortly, uh, you know, just a, several, just a couple months into the process, I was sitting at the corner of uh, Rutledge and Grove looking at the space that is now the Park Cafe, but at the time had just been uh, a catering kitchen and then it would be open as Granville's and it was back and forth. And I just started to feel really frustrated by that. And um, So did I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you weren't alone there. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But frustrated mostly because I was so um, excited about what was going on in our neighborhood and really excited about the prospect of businesses outside of the primary commercial corridors of King and mm-hmm. Calhoun and East Bay that our neighborhoods now were developing into vibrant places all over Charleston and they needed community-oriented spaces to really kind of um, complete the package of living in a neighborhood, an urban neighborhood like yeah. that. And and so then it just said, this is a waste. What's happening here? And and I, I kind of got frustrated and then distracted by something else that, as you always do when you're in a restaurant project. And then later that night, it happened. It was like, I couldn't get it off my mind. Just when I have a, a hundred other you know, things that I should have been dealing with and fires put out. Um, and night after night after night, it just kept happening. And then it was like, the you know, it's a very, always a very organic process for me, and, and it's like, oh, do you remember when you were thinking about avocado toast, and you haven't been able to stop thinking about avocado toast, and and these other, you know, it's it's almost like the concept starts to build itself inside my head, and usually from things that I've experienced in the past, and huh. I pulled up this menu I'd written maybe two years ago. And it was almost identical to, identical oh, to our right? opening menu at the Park Cafe. It's great the way that happens. I mean, it, that is really, though, like pure creative process, yeah. which is what I find is so cool about, you know, so many different people. We've talked about this on the show before, how creative process is something that tends to be pigeonholed into the realm of the artist. But it's something everybody does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you get that hook under your skin like that, you just can't avoid it. That's just, you know, and then your subconscious starts pulling things up out of nowhere. And, and yet you've already been working on this mm-hmm. and, and you didn't even know it. Yeah. So it was, it was really intense and I had to go then back to my husband and say, hey, remember when I talked about one? Do you want to talk about two? And he just kind of looked at me like, only you would okay. try to do this. And, and it oh, really boy. started to line up like it was going to be two restaurants at once. Right. We're going to break to a song, but one thing to think about as we go into the, the third part of our conversation, which is about sort of simplicity. Um, and uh, I'm curious as to what you uh, learned from um, trying to close yourself off to doing something and yet not being able to do it. <laughs> uh, so we'll break to a song. John, what are we going to listen to? Uh, well, now we have uh, His Golden Messenger, Saturday's song. Mm-hmm. Is this another uh, Newport? Yeah. 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 They're great. They were just in town. They just opened they were for just Jason town. Isabel two, oh, weeks really? ago, two weeks ago, I think. Oh, nice. It was. Yeah. I heard uh, that was a great show. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Saturday's song. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when Saturday day comes, I'm gonna lose my son. Yeah, when Saturday day comes, I'm like everybody else. I might get a little crazy. I'm gonna drink some whiskey. Saturday song by His Gold Messenger. We're here with Carolee Nielsen Follert. This is John Duckworth, Alexopolis. And we were just talking about overflowing plates and uh, <laughs> the intensity of that process and sort of taking on more than, uh, almost more than you can handle, but getting through it. And so mm-hmm. on, the, on the other side of, of opening up uh, two restaurants almost simultaneously, uh, you decide to do what? Well, I I knew there was a 
break coming because yeah. for a long time I've been wanting to have a family and my husband and I are trying to you know put that make space for that in our, uh-huh. in our world and but um I just the understanding that I wanted to spend more time in in the dirt literally in the dirt in the soil and um so we've uh, we bought 25 acres out on Edisto with the intention of building our family home out there and being able to have as many animals as I can handle and um, be able to spend mornings and afternoons in the soil. There was a particular story you mentioned that, that inspired this process. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, um, I have a great group of friends and uh, we were headed to the North Carolina mountains to go camping we were, and uh, we stopped at a friend's farm in Boone, North Carolina and we got there real late at night and then obviously we were really excited to see each other so, so you know, passing the whiskey bottle around the, the, around the fire that night <laughs> and uh, so we didn't really see much of what, what the landscape was and at first crack of dawn I thought I was going to stoke everybody out by having the coffee brewing you know, and snuck into the kitchen and everything and when I first kind of popped myself, my head outside the tent I realized we were just sitting amongst cultivated fields that our buddy who had the farm there was was really cultivating not a patch it was like it was impressive and as i was filling the coffee pot from inside the kitchen i could see little orange orbs in the sunlight coming up mm. and that's when i realized we had fresh tomatoes on our hands and i was like straight out there i just left the coffee and the, you know to, and i just went out there and and just peace and quiet and and the kind of crisp in the air and literally just sat down like a baby and just started picking tomatoes <laughs> and putting them like in my Oh, you, nice. know, to, you know, in my underwear, I just thought, and, and it, it, I and I had several hours to myself like that, and um, I it I had this epiphany that I had created an incredibly intense, but also um, uh, a world and an environment that was that didn't really let me rest, and I didn't take outside of some yoga mm-hmm. that I practice. Um, I wasn't finding peace in a regular fashion, and that 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 peace was. Um, convincing it was it was like this is where you have to be every day of your life and that so that moment was just sort of really resonant oh and, yeah and you realized that it was lacking in your normal day-to-day because yeah. it's just so easy to get wrapped up in the sort of chaos and and, and intensity of, of what you're doing and not even realize what you're missing right you, you talk about creative process i'm interested to uh think about this newfound knowledge um as it relates to like you opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now you have this knowledge. Now you know you want to move in a different direction. How does that creative process unfold for you on that side of things? Well, I think there's boundaries that start that, you know, this uh, was something I've never done before as far as I've developed plenty of buildings, I've built lots of things, but hanging raw land and going through the process of making it into a home for our family was daunting um, and exciting at the same time. But the first thing um, was really creating boundaries for it. And as we were talking earlier, there's so much Charleston is, um, uh, is, is I, I felt, I feel a sense of duty to Charleston. It's given me so much. It's, it's given me the opportunity to have a wonderful life and create and, and meet so many wonderful people. And so the idea that, that there's just so much to be done here all the time, um, those boundaries for me have to start being, you know, being put up, and and the phone calls from developers or friends or people who want to, you know, have a restaurant here. There, those conversations about about not taking those opportunities. No, thank you. No, as thank you. Yeah, um, and, and really, at the end of the day, it's it gets easier and easier. The, when I come home, I look at my husband every night. I'm like, this is this is the, where my energy needs to be and focus, mm-hmm. um, because. And, and so to answer your questions, I think, I think the creative process becomes totally brand new. 
completely different from anything else that I've ever okay. done. Okay. That's interesting, because I, I, I think that when we asked you about this originally, you, you coined this as, you put this in the category of refusal, because yeah. you're turning down so many things. But when I read that, my first thought was, this is the quintessential call to adventure. You're actually saying yes to something which is completely unfamiliar, Yeah, right. which is really where I find where all the magic happens. That's where the growth is, because you're, you're, you're stepping into this unknown area. And it's also oftentimes, sometimes not, but usually where there's a lot of excitement involved too, because it is unknown and you're sort of challenging yourself, you're mm -hmm. growing as an individual. And the whole idea of saying no um, is not is a refusal of something that you're already familiar with and, and you don't really need to jump into that boat again. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to feel good. <laughs> it does. It's good and scary, you know. <laughs> it's good, that good and scary, <laughs> which is the... also part of it. I yeah. think that, you know, that's the conversation we have a lot, that, you know, just this recognition of fear, not being a negative, right. being a, 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 an indication of a great sort of fertile ground to step into. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was recently reading an article, I think last week in the New York Times, um, titled The Philosopher Chef, um, and it centers around the food being produced by Zen Buddhist uh, monk Zhang Quan. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with I'm her? I'm not. Um, so for high-end chefs in other parts of the world who you might be familiar with, Eric Rippert mm -hmm. and Rene Redzepi, mm -hmm. um, temple cuisine represents a sort of gastronomic Rosetta Stone. Um, and I th just thought it interesting. So lots of them are traveling to the monastery to work with her um, to go back to the ancient sort of principles of quote unquote farm to table. Right? Yeah. Um, but obviously considered one of the top chefs in the world, um, utilizing creative process, but just not in a commercial venue, mm -hmm. just purely for herself and her, the, the monks that she works with. And so when you think about creating the space and creating the table for your family and mm -hmm. all those things, um, is that how you view it? I mean, viewing, building these structures and entities and places that uh, are just not commercial. They're not for yeah. the public. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, it's just fostering, um, fostering a safe place to land in a place where mm. um, my family, my, you know, my, I can't wait for my in-laws to move in very close with us on that property and, and to real, and, and, you know, children to be had and, and, and everybody will be able to come to make, to have a place that fosters um, connectivity to each other and um, and that to me is always done over food first and foremost if there is ever any boundaries or barriers breaking bread with somebody usually changes that quickly and um, and so to me developing this property is about having a place that's that that's the our sanctuary and I, I think it's beautiful that you bring up you know you opened with the temple um, food idea because that's truly what it is for me and and for me, I've just been commercial. I have been commercializing it um, for the last, you know, fifteen years. Well, we all years. benefit from it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But it, it, it to me that is, um, you know, I've had a great opportunity to learn from Jeffrey and Andrea Cohen here um, in Charleston. And when when I started practicing yoga with them, they really challenged my ideas about food. And that's I've really butted up against that as far as like commercialized industrialized food systems. But really, ultimately. What it's, what it's made me realize is truly we're all connected. And my entry into that connecting with everybody is just food. And so I can do it with the broader world commercially through the restaurants, but I need to dig back down in the dirt and do it for myself and my family for a while. Beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like um, there's another book you mentioned about uh, how to train a wild elephant and other adventures in mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> how how long ago did you were you introduced to this book? Geez, I think Drew gave that to me for Christmas like three years ago. Is that right? Yeah, and it's one of those things I put up, I, I pick up, and I think I'm doing this every single week this year. You know, this. it's, it's a, a weekly practice, and it's oh, yeah. everything from trying to use your left hand for a whole week instead of your right hand, and and, um, and I get started and I stop and I get started and I stop, but I'm grateful for the challenge and and it's um, you know. Feeling, feeling connected to him. Yeah, it's that. great because that's just sort of, you know, the simple act of noticing yeah. is really what that's all about. And it, and it is a practice. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you say you start and you stop. And I, I think it's great. You know, don't beat yourself up about that. That's what everybody does. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> at least you're starting. And then it's the noticing that you stopped is actually the same thing. Right. Because that's what's most important. Most often it's people won't notice that part. And that's the most important part is just noticing what you're doing, what your habits are. If you yeah. want to change a habit... You really have to be aware of the fact that you have one first, whether it serves you or not, yeah. you know, and then make that decision, which, whatever way you're going, which it sounds like what you're doing with this new, you know, farm and, and, and soft place to land. I love that description mm-hmm. out on Edisto. Yeah. One, one last beautiful thing you uh, introduced to both John and I is a oh, gentleman yeah. by the name of Brian Stevenson, mm-hmm. Just Mercy, the book. We both watched his TEDx uh, which I would advise everybody to uh, take a listen to. Especially if you want a good cry. Yeah. Oh, my God, he's yeah. incredible. He yeah. goes on to say, we will ultimately not be judged by our technology. We won't be judged by our design. We won't be judged by our intellect and reason. Ultimately, you judge the character of a society by how they treat the poor, the condemned, the incarcerated. What a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, given his whole life Yeah. to people that most people would just rather kill shut away or ignore yeah and so you said that book after you read it it's just had a lasting impact that one's you know I I feel like I'm almost shutting it trying to shut it out (laughs) (laughs) now what no yeah I think that's gonna have be um, in my psyche for the next few years yeah and I have a feeling that my time in Edisto will have something to do with that in the grand scheme of things Um, but very uh, it's so easy to to just say, I can't handle the pain or the situation that that person presents or that person has. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of homeless people in Charleston and, um, and I, and that's been on my mind. And so I feel like there, there's a layering here of a potentially another call to act adventure. Yeah. yeah. Well, just getting to a place where you're quiet and you can take it all in and not need to do anything. What did Jeremy Rutledge that's say? That's the bearing witness. Bearing witness. And I, that's what I found was so interesting. What Brian Stevenson was talking about in his TED talk was, was, was you know, uh, with regards to American history, mm-hmm. just really bearing witness because we're not doing a very good job as a culture really acknowledging our past. And, and that in order to really move forward, it's really important to do that. Yeah. And, and so um, he talked really eloquently about that. And I was super inspired. And I mean, he's dealing with you know incarcerated people, mainly African American people, yeah. who are who are you know uh, uh, there's so much a greater percentage behind bars. Uh, there's a greater percentage who are locked up for reasons based on race, and yeah. they stay longer. And um, um, he's done some amazing work in that in that area to try and uh, shine a light on that. And just the name of it, the Equal Justice Initiative. I, mean, I couldn't stop thinking yeah. about that Equal Justice Initiative. It's just how simple. But how com- complex. Right. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, it's interesting. What I was going to say is something about, so 
Hey, going back to, to Brian Stevenson, when you talk about judging the character of a society by, by what they do, I find it uh, so, so compelling to sit here with you, Carolee, and think about the things that are on your mind and the way that you approach them in that there's not this, you don't have a specific concrete plan here. You, ha- you have a feeling which is great, you know. It makes me think about uh, uh, Alterman when when mm-hmm. she was here and and how she talks about the the female intuition right. and how much we can all benefit from that. And you have this feeling about some some place your life is taking you, and it's just a really nice way to describe where you're going. There's a softness to it, which is really nice. And I think that uh, um, it'll be nice to to think about the character of this society, Charleston, that we all live in, and you you're contributing to it in a really special way. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. It's, mm. it's just an honor to sit here and talk with friends. Yeah, Sweet. thanks. Thanks for sharing your uh, your story with all of us. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. And so we're going to lead out with one more Bar Brothers song, just because Carolee couldn't get enough of them. I think we would do three <laughs> Bar Brothers songs, maybe, but we mixed it up a little bit. And this one is called Valhalla. Yeah, Valhalla. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy. Tops put my knuckle on the sun. Oh, mama, I cannot say that I'm not affected by your orange blossom ways. Took aim and spoke low. Backed up to the west and let that little arrow go. The Valhalla, I wanna name you. Old relations in the valley wanna claim you. There's no pill. Satisfied, yawning to work, and my need not to deny. I can moan like a dog and kick like a mule. Say I've been sleeping well, that wouldn't be true. And I put like a fish on a telephone line, rounders and powders and fine Spanish wine. Still awake, shadows on the wall where the dawn wants to break. This old mattress where it used to lie. Heaven knows it's empty, I'm still on my side. Oh, mama, I cannot say that I'm not affected by those old fashioned ways. Some blood, some bone. Something so sweet about the air back home Some name, some blame Some would rather see it go while others want to claim it Every jewel that you find Every glass you drain and every watch you wine I can moan like a dog and kick like a mule Say I've been sleeping well that wouldn't be true And I put like a fish On the telephone line Rounders and powders And fine Spanish wine Oh, 
bow and arrow, no wind. Half in the dawn, like where everything begins. Took aim, spoke low, backed up to the west and let that little arrow go. All right, so thanks for listening. We're back with Call to Adventure. That was Valhalla from the Bar Brothers. Love those guys. Yeah, really cool music. And um, uh, thanks to Carolee for turning us on to them. I hadn't even heard of them before, and they've been on the rotation in my studio for a bit now. And we've had a couple of friends, Buff Ross being another, who spent a lot of time up at the Newport Festival. That's and, right. Uh, we need to put that on our calendar. It sounds like we need to go. Yeah. yeah. Or at least insert the lineup of musicians into our playlist. Yes, yeah. exactly. At the very least. What, what, uh, what, what, what did you find most... Uh, there's so many nuggets of things that were interesting to me there yeah. uh, in that conversation. She was delightful to have on, on the show. What, what was most uh, compelling to you? Well, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, you and I, on the break here, just about balance mm-hmm. and, and how um, for those people who are really just insatiably curious and passionate about what they do, uh, that, can be a, that can be a struggle is you can overload your plate pretty quickly by saying yes all the time and... and uh, yeah, Carolee's done that, and at the same time, she's been listening more and saying no thank you to a lot of things in order to just provide more space, Right. you know, which is really... I, I love the way you said, you know, she referred to that as a refusal to a call, mm-hmm. uh, but it's actually the quintessential call to adventure. It's just, it's, it's completely different than what she's normally comfortable with. Right? Yeah, stepping into unfamiliar territory. I mean, right. saying no thank you, which, which I think a lot of people struggle with. You know, right. we all want to please others and have a hard time turning down what feels like an opportunity. And especially when it's, you know, comes to us so easily, you know, and, and, uh, cause you know, all things considered, we have it, uh, we have a pretty good thing going, uh, uh, in our lives. And, and, um, when, when things happen, uh, when are presented to us in a, in a really easy fashion, it's hard to say no. Right. Um, but you, she's, she sounds like she's been doing that more lately to free up space for, for something else. Right. And, and you said, and, and obviously with her, uh, um, interest in meditation and mindful practices. Um, she seems to be very open and is, uh, spending some time just listening, you know, mm-hmm. um, and where her inspiration is coming from, Brian Stevenson. Gosh, right. I highly recommend, uh, the audience listening out there to, uh, take a listen to his Ted talk. I mean, you were in tears. My hair is standing up. I was in tears. Yeah. What a beautiful man. Really powerful stuff. I mean, yeah. he's, he, he's doing some amazing work for, for this country, really, mm-hmm. and and to shine a light on things that uh, a lot of people aren't looking at, and it's really powerful. So, and you can see when you uh, uh, listen to that, watch that TED talk, I get a pretty good idea what sort of seed of inspiration was planted in Carolee, and I'm just really curious as she spends some time, a little quiet time out on Edisto, as to what's going to blossom from that. I am too, because you know it will. Yeah, you <laughs> right, know it will, right. and I, you know that as if you were listening to this whole conversation, once she gets the hooks in, yeah. Once it's under her skin, whatever it is that comes up down the line, um, she's going to commit to it in a way that's uh, 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 wholeheartedly and, and, you know, all in. I love the way she talked about that. Like the, you know, what do you do with new knowledge, right? That's a quintessential part of the hero's journey. Yeah, like right. A, a seeking, obtaining new knowledge, and then what do you do with it? And she referred to sort of being cornered. And <laughs> she just, she couldn't, go, she had to go through it. Right, she had yeah. to take that knowledge she gained and do something with it, um, which uh, 
yeah, really, really interested to see how uh, it plays out for her. Uh, and, and our community will benefit from it, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, thank you again for spending another hour of your time with us. We hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Kara Lee as much as we enjoyed chatting with her. Uh, remarkable woman. Um, thanks to Ohm Radio Charleston. And you can find Ohm Radio online at ohmradio963.org. You can always stream all the all the radio all day on ohmradio963.org. Right. And for and you can also listen to uh, Call to Adventure, our previous episodes, um, on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Just search Call to Adventure. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks, Thomas Kenny, again for making it all happen. Uh, glad to have him as our uh, as one of our partners. Absolutely. Cheers. Remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.